You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. that are in the room and welcome to everyone that's joining us online. Um, it's such a privilege um, as always to have the opportunity to share God's word with you. So what I'm going to do first is pray and then we'll, we'll jump straight into it. God, we just, we thank you for today. And so God, we just um, come and we still our hearts, we still our minds um, as we focus on your word this morning. God, would you speak to us? Um, would you help us see or hear something we've uh, not seen and heard of you before? Um, and we just pray that you would um, just move in this place this morning. We've already been singing about um, setting the captives free. And God, we ask that you would continue to do that as we look at your word today. Amen. So we're continuing in our Spring in the Psalms series. Um, and today we're looking at Psalm 18. Now, sometimes you can hear songs on like Spotify and they're like three minutes long. You can listen to some songs and they're like 10 minutes long. This is a psalm that is 50 verses, okay? This is not a three-minute <laughs> psalm. Um, you'll be pleased to hear I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, and we're just going to dive in and focus on certain parts of it. So we'll, we'll kind of read parts of it as we move through. Um, just to set a bit of context, this is a psalm of David. Um, it's thought of as a royal psalm. Um, some people wonder whether it's maybe two psalms, uh, two songs put together, hence why it's quite long. Um, that it starts off perhaps with a bit more of an individual person's focus, and then it moves on to talking much more about um, a king, so King David and his experience. So you've got kind of this individual element, and you've kind of got this royal element as well. Um, so let's just start. We'll read um, verses 1 to 2, which hopefully will come up um, behind me. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Isn't that such a beautiful image? This kind of image of being so sturdy, a fortress, a place where the psalmist sees himself as hiding in God, God being his rock and his refuge, his stronghold. And I think as we move through all the different parts of the psalm today, that you can almost see, in some senses, these couple of opening verses as a summary of the whole. That it is the psalmist um, looking to God and recognizing that all that he needs is in God. And that in his time of difficulty and trouble that we'll come and read about, that it's God who is his rock, who is his refuge, who is his salvation. And there's a number of images there. And even before we start, I just want us to pause and just think, you know, which of those images do we need God to be? Do we need God to be our rock, to be, you know, our firm place? Do we need him to be our refuge? Does it feel like things are coming against us from all angles and we need his hiding place? Similarly, do we need him to be our shield? Or do we need to know his salvation today, that we desperately need God's deliverance? 
Um, what I'm going to do um, is I'm going to move through a number of different points, so you can move on to the next slide, um, just to let you know where we're going today. We're going to look at the God who, because I think this psalm reveals a number of things about who God is. Um, so he's the God who hears, he's the God who moves, he's the God who strengthens, and ultimately he's the God who saves um, so that's where we're going, and you'll know how far we're through by how many, you know, how many points we've covered. So let's go with um, the first one, the God who hears. So this is verses 3 um, to 6. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. So you can hear, you can hear here the, the situation of the psalmist. It talks about enemy, death, destruction, grave being entangled, overwhelmed, entrapped, ensnared. You know, all of that just paints a really dark image, hence the picture that I've got behind me. You know, this really dark image of feeling like there's nowhere to go, that you are in the pit um, and that there's no way out. And yet, straight away, even after all of this darkness and this kind of... uh, kind of, I don't know, how just feeling like you're in a prison, perhaps. Um, he cries out to God, and he, he's, he feels so assured that God, from his temple, hears his voice. And I was thinking about this. We have all sorts of different images for God in the Bible, um, and also for Jesus as well. Sometimes those images feel really close, such as a fortress or a refuge that we've just heard. Um, ones where it feels like God wants you to know that he's surrounding you. Um, Perhaps also they can feel really comforting, like a a shepherd with his sheep. However, this image to me feels in some ways a little bit more removed, that the psalmist is crying out to God, yet God is in his temple. Um, He feels maybe a little bit further away, but I think it's purposeful here. I think it's something to to do with showing that. God is majestic, that he's holy, that he's seated on a throne, that he is king, um, and that he's powerful. You know, sometimes we need to know God as our shepherd, but sometimes, and I think this is one of these moments, we need to know God as our warrior, that he is the one who fights, (laughs) and he is the one who, uh, in some senses, avenges, but obviously we'll talk about what that actually means for us <laughs> um, in, a, in a bit. So we've got this image of God um, as majestic, as seated, as holy, but yet also one who hears. But it struck me as I was, and, and my husband Joe, we were chatting about this together, and, and he, he said, yes, but the psalmist, he has to speak. And I thought that's absolutely true. You know, God is there, the situation is going on, but the psalmist, uh, if it's David, you know, he, he called, he cried. It was his voice and it was his cry. And I felt there was something there about it. It's personal, isn't it, often, that 
Yes, we can know that God is powerful, but unless we call out to him, unless we cry to him to come and meet us in our needs, um, we will not often experience God's deliverance. I mean, God is gracious. Sometimes he, he does things when we've not even asked. But often we have to come and we have to invite him. And for some of you, you may feel like, well, I don't even know how to ask God to meet me where I am. And I had a real sense this morning that actually uh, crying to God doesn't have to be with eloquent words. <laughs> it just has to be uh, bringing ourselves before him and just saying, God, I need you. God, would you meet me? So we've got this situation of, of uh, death, destruction, entanglement, this darkness. But yet we've got a psalmist who cries out to this God who is um, holy and seated on the throne. So what, what is God's response? Um, we can move on to the next one. Well, God moves. Um, so let's have a look. Um, this is uh, verses 7 to 15. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. A number of scholars talk about this section as a theophany, and that simply means kind of God revealing himself. Um, and I think you can see that here. You can see all this imagery um, that's circling around all sorts of different ideas, but essentially it's it's trying to, to paint a picture of God on the move, trying to paint a picture of a powerful God who is acting. Um, but what struck me was that one of the first things it says about him is that he's angry. Now, we don't often talk about God in uh, having, you know, in some ways, um, I think we sometimes take on a bit of a kind of Greek philosophical perspective that we think that God doesn't have any emotions or maybe just nice ones, love. But here, God is angry. He's actually angry. And why is he angry? Well, because there's something happening to his loved one that he is not okay with. Um, it, it's perhaps often anger comes out of injustice. And actually, that's okay when it's correct and righteousness that is causing you to feel like something unjust is happening and here we can see that God is angry this death is coming the snares are entangling someone he loves and he cares for and he does not stay silent but he moves he moves in <laughs> let's take the images hence why you can also see the thunderstorm in thunderstorm he erupts there's lightning his voice thunders the foundations are exposed this is not a gentle image 
This is an image of power. You think about the storms we've had recently, and that's just a small part of it. You know, we're kind of in your house thinking, please, roof, stay on. Um, you know, and that's just a bit of wind, you know, maybe a few, you know, 100 miles an hour or whatever, depending on where you are in the country. But, you know, think of all the power in creation. You know, this kind of idea of these massive thunderstorms or these hailstorms and lightning, perhaps of volcanic um, eruptions taking place. It's taking images from creation to talk about our creator God, who is awesome, awesome and powerful and huge. Why does the psalmist need to know this? Because he's stuck, overwhelmed, entangled, entrapped, ensnared. And he's got no way out. He doesn't just need a shepherd or a refuge. He needs a warrior. And here we have a warrior moving. But the thing that's amazing to me is that God is not just angry for the sake of being angry. He's angry because he loves us, essentially. He loves uh, the psalmist. And what does he use his power for? He uses his power for us. So if we move on to verses 16 to 19, it says, He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He reaches down. He takes hold. He draws out. He rescues. He brings out into a spacious place. I've always loved that verse. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. You know, God doesn't desire for us to be stuck in prisons, in things that keep us overwhelmed, entangled, feeling like death is surrounding us, whether that's actual death or kind of metaphorical death. He wants to bring us out into a spacious place and he wants to reach in, draw us out and be the God who rescues us. And that's such a different image, isn't it? You start with um, entanglement, entrapment, and you end in some ways here with this rescue of being brought out into a spacious place to me I, I think of like that kind of image of someone perhaps walking through a field you know in the sunshine that there's just this space and air and kind of breath that you can breathe in and take and there's such different images and yet it's God who moves in power to bring us from one to the other but he also um not only does he want to bring us out into a spacious place, but he wants to strengthen us. So that's the next one, the God who strengthens. Um, so I'm jumping a bit. I'm skipping a little bit of the psalm. I'm, I'm going to move to uh, verses 28 to 36. So it says, You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The, Lord, sorry, the Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? 
It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. I'm just going to pick out a few things that that it says. Firstly, it's God who arms me with strength. That's what the psalmist says. You know, we, God, God, sometimes we need God to rescue us, and we do. But then after that, you have to say, well, we've come out. What do we do now, (laughs) in a sense? Um, And actually, it's really encouraging to know that God continues to walk with us. God is the one who gives us the strength that we don't always have. That we know, we, I felt like some of us needed to know that we are not fighting things on our own. That it's not just about the capacities we have within ourselves. But actually we can draw on God's strength in, in the situations that we're facing. But not only does he arm us with strength, but he keeps our way secure. You know, for me that speaks about not only needing God for the present, but knowing that we have an ongoing hope for the future, that God can keep us walking um, on secure paths. And not only does he keep our way secure, but he sustains us, that he's ongoingly with us. He's ongoingly our strength. And what we could think from a lot of what I've already said is that we're fairly passive in this, that it's God who's doing everything. And I think there is a space in which actually early on, It needs to be God that moves because we can't do it and the psalmist couldn't do it. But actually the tone changes here and from the following verses after this to the end, the psalmist is pretty active in the fight. You know, he starts to become um, doing things, not just receiving God's help, but becoming active and doing things. And I think um, there can be a sense for some of us as well that we need to know that actually God strengthens us um, in order to, to fight. And I don't mean fight the wrong things and fight the battles that God himself needs to fight, but actually to walk with God in terms of bringing God's freedom to others, to fight, fighting battles against um, the darkness in our world and that he can give us the strength to do that. So we've got uh, a God who hears, a God who moves, and a God who strengthens Um, And lastly, we're going to move on to the God who saves. Um, Why have I said that? Well, because I think all of the the three before essentially are talking about God who saves. But the first thing we might want to ask, and this is what actually comes up in the the section that I skipped um, of the Psalms in verses 20 to 27, which I'm not going to read, um, is the question of who is saved and why. And for the psalmist, he talks about, God dealt with me according to my righteousness. Um, And he says, to the faithful, you show yourselves faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. So it could cause us to say, well, does God only rescue David because he's David? No, because he's a special person. Does God only move like a warrior because David's the king, perhaps? Um, Is it because David's special in some way? Or is it because David is this 
superhuman person that is always blameless, uh, faithful, pure. Well, we know from the story of David that that is not the case, that he's not a perfect person. Um, And so we've got to think about these things in context. And this is about um, covenant. This is about David choosing to align himself with God, to be God's, uh, in God's people, essentially, to say, God has made a covenant with with me and with Israel, and I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to be part of that covenant. I'm going to walk in God's ways. I'm going to learn from God's laws. I'm going to be God's, essentially. And because he knows he's aligned himself with God, because he is God's, he can trust that God will meet the other side of the bargain. You know, a covenant has two sides. It's got two people that commit to each other. One is God, in this instance, and the other is David, but as part of the wider people of God. And they've committed to be God's, to trust God, to serve God, to walk in the ways of God. And so they know on the flip side that God is their God and will deliver them, will protect them. And so they have a secure hope. And I think we can kind of, we can take this on as well in that because of, because of Jesus, we have become God's people. You know, he has brought us into new covenant with him. And actually, part of us trusting, with, trusting God is knowing that as we align ourselves with him, as we choose to be his and to be with him, we have a hope that he is for us. We have a hope that he wants to and will deliver us. So how do we apply and understand this psalm now? Because clearly this is a particular context for David. You know, he's fighting actual enemies, um, physical. Um, He's got specific people that were coming against him, Saul, the previous king, being one of them. So do we take this and say, yes, we want, you know, people that we don't like who are coming against us to be destroyed (laughs) for the breath of God's, you know, fire and nostrils to come upon them? Um, No, I don't think that's where we're at. Um, You know, is it saying that we will always be victorious in this life? No, I don't think it's saying that either. Um, And we could pull out numerous verses from the New Testament that talk about, you know, you're always having trouble. Um, I do think one thing we can see here is an image, um, a kind of prefiguring of Jesus's own vindication. You know, that you could see images of the cross and death and actually how um, God raised him from the dead and seated him above his enemies. So you can see a kind of type there. Um, But what I think it shows us is still that God does want to fight against our enemies and that God is still um, railing against things that want to entrap and ensnare and make kind of deaths around us. So what are our enemies? Well, really, in the New Testament, our enemies are sin and death. You know, that Paul talks about um, being under the power of sin, being slaves to sin, and that that ultimately leads to death and all sorts of other negative consequences for us. And yet we know because of Jesus, God has dealt with sin and he's dealt with death. What are other, some, some other enemies? Well, actually, <laughs> spiritual forces. You know, we, we can read in Ephesians 6 that it clearly states, so I know I'm on safe ground here, that 
our enemies are not flesh and blood, okay? <laughs> they're not flesh and blood. They're not people. But they're spiritual forces that are seeking to kill and destroy. I've kind of conflated Ephesians and John there, but you'll forgive me for that. Um, you know, they are, there are evil forces at work in the world. Sin and death are still at work in the world. Um, sometimes that can be sin in our personal lives. And sometimes we can understand sin actually as what some people talk about as structural sin. Sin not, that not only is what happens between us and God, but what becomes ingrained in society, ingrained in power structures, ingrained in the ways cultures can think about um, what is right and what's wrong, um, ingrained in how different people groups relate to each other. And actually, God still rails and, and I'm going to say hates those things. No, he actually does not want us to be a people who experience the power of sin as overwhelming us, the power of death as overcoming us, nor does he want us to be trapped um, in our own lives or in larger systems where those things um, hold us. Actually, he wants to, I'm going to come back to the verse that I mentioned before, he wants to bring us out into a spacious place. You know, he wants to be, and he is, that warrior who fights for us. You know, he has ultimately um, brought redemption and brought freedom through Jesus, but he, he's still fighting. You know, people are still suffering. There's still things going on, and actually God is our warrior. So I'm going to come into land here, because as I was preparing this um, talk, I was thinking that there's, there's two sides to this. There may be some of you who really feel like you are that person described in the psalm. You feel like you are entangled, overwhelmed, entrapped, and you need to know God personally delivering you out of certain situations. You may not feel, uh, so this is the other group of people, you may not feel like that. But actually, I think for all of us, and this, I, this would probably be me in this situation, we need to allow God to stir within us an anger um, for the things that are destroying people, <laughs> that are destroying our brothers and sisters, or are trying to, at least. Um, we need to allow God to move us, to, to be moved by these things. And so I felt that there might be, you know, you might be in a place where you feel like you, you are entangled, or you need God to hear you, or you need God to move for you, or you need God to strengthen you. Or you might be someone who needs to, to know this heart of God, to be moved by this heart of God, so that you don't just know that for yourself, but you actually, like the psalmist, start to become active and start to move. Maybe that bit might be something particularly to do with social injustice that you need to move on. Maybe it's something for a friend that you can see that they are, there's something going on in their life that you just need to get on your knees and pray for. I don't know what it is for you, but I had a real sense that not only did people need to know God as warrior for them, but actually we needed to enter into um, prayerful uh, fighting for others. Um, whether that might also lead to practical things for us um, or whether it is just getting on our knees. So um, I hope this is an encouragement <laughs> that God hears you. Uh, he moves for you. <laughs> 
He wants to strengthen you and can strengthen you. And ultimately, we serve the God who saves. Isn't that an incredible thing, that we have a God who delights in us, who loves us, and wants to deliver us from our enemies? So I'm just going to close this part in prayer, and then I'll I'll hand over to, to Mark and India. God, we just, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that we can know you in all sorts of ways, that we can know that you are our rock and our refuge and our fortress. We can know that you make us secure. We thank you that we can know that you hear us. And God, I pray today for those of us that need your deliverance that need to know you as a warrior over our lives god would you come and would you meet us in that god would you start to fight the enemies that are taking sometimes feel like they're taking hold or are overwhelming god would you strengthen people today god would you help us to know that you are our rock and our salvation that there is no one like you no God besides you, and nothing that is too strong for you. And Lord, where sometimes we're apathetic to what's taking place around us, either in our own lives or in others' lives, God, would you stir us to action? Would you stir us to be moved by the care and concern you have in your heart for, for others? In your name, amen.